Oh, and so often that is the case, is it not? We don't understand why things happen the way they do, but if you'll let Jesus take care of that, he'll explain it in his time. And uh, that may not be until we get to heaven, but that's okay. Uh, You don't need to understand. We need to trust Jesus. Amen. And so let's keep our eyes upon him, our hearts stayed upon him, and let him take care of the circumstances he, he puts us through. Now, last week we ended with a very, very short summary of the parables, the teaching of Jesus in Matthew chapter 13. And again, uh, we have taught through all of the uh, parables over the years in different uh, series. What we're trying to do here is get the main story, the scope and sequence of the Gospels as they unfold. And uh, we are, uh, in this lesson, we will finish up the second year and begin the third year of Jesus' ministry. And you'll notice that uh, we're still only in Mark chapter 4. And please do understand that uh, others have taken, uh, we've addressed this, but others have taken the four Gospels and they've tried to cut out all the words and make just one Gospel story out of it We're not going to do that because the Bible pronounces a very harsh judgment upon those who would remove words from this book. Amen. And you will notice that we're going to be bouncing back and forth. Now, we have not heard from the Gospel of John in quite a while. And uh, we won't hear from the Gospel of John again until, Lord willing, next week, if we can finish what is on our outline, we'll be doing one of the most famous stories, the feeding of the 5,000. And, of course, that has all four Gospels telling the same story. Uh, That doesn't always happen. In fact, it's more rare uh, than it is that all four Gospels would give the same story. And uh, if you'll notice, Matthew, uh, we kind of jump around a little bit in the book of Matthew. He's giving all the same stories He just doesn't necessarily give them all in the same order that they seem to come in chronologically as recorded in the other Gospels. And so uh, let's just go to Mark chapter 4. And uh, I I love this story here. And uh, Jesus had been teaching And as he would do several times in his ministry, verse 35, it says, And the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be stilled. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, there is so much. I mean, we could spend the whole night just in this one story and still never really cover all that is in here and and build on the beauties and the lessons that the Lord is trying to teach us. But what we're trying to do is zoom out, as they say, get the big picture. Jesus in Mark chapter 4 and in Mark chapter 5, is he is revealing himself as the very God of gods, the God of the Old Testament to the disciples. He has a purpose and a reason. He has 
done many miracles. They are believing on him. Uh, they believe that he is the Messiah. They just don't understand everything that that phrase means. In fact, many people don't even today. Uh, they talk about, well, we believe Jesus is the Messiah and Jesus was a great leader and Jesus was this and that. But when you say Jesus is the Messiah, what you're doing is you are claiming, Jesus was claiming, equality with the God of the Bible. Now, you cannot have anything above God. That is the definition of the word. Amen? Uh, And Jesus claimed to be God. You'll notice if We don't have time to chase all this out, but in uh, Isaiah chapter 14, the devil says, I will be what? Like the Most High. He knew that he couldn't be more than the Most High. He said, but I'm going to be like him. And uh, God pressed that big no buzzer in heaven. And uh, because God will not accept any imitations. And so as Jesus was walking the earth here with the disciples, he chose this opportunity. They had just been teaching in parables. And of course, the disciples, I believe, had to be doing a little something that often happens in our church service is... Now, I never get upset if you work night shift and you fall asleep in church. You will never hear me get upset at you. But if you've had a good night's rest or even been in bed last night, don't fall asleep in church. I've met some people who say, but you don't understand. I said, yes, I do. When I was in Bible college, I did get off work at 7.30 in the morning. But I went to church because I'd rather fall asleep at church than have a good night's, good morning's rest at home being disobedient to the Lord. Church is important. You've got to set your priorities. Uh, I had a professor in Bible college, he had a unique way of waking you up if you fell asleep in class. It was usually an eraser uh, flying across the room. And, uh, of course, you can't do that today. But uh, uh, in those days, you got away with a little bit more. But the disciples apparently were not paying attention. And we'll find them doing this repeatedly through the New Testament, through the opportunities they have to learn. And so Jesus says, let us pass over onto the other side. Now, Jesus had been teaching, and so he goes into the back of the ship and takes a nap. And the one point I'd just like to bring out, just one application. Don't think that you can do anything without Jesus. How many times had these disciples been across the Sea of Galilee? I mean, this was their bread and butter. I mean, this is what I mean by fleshing it out and building it up. We could spend 20 minutes just explaining all the things, but they believed they could handle this thing. So that's why Jesus was asleep. Oftentimes, when in your life, when you feel that Jesus is not paying attention to you, that maybe he's taking a little nap. Uh, Let me explain something. It's usually in response to your ignoring him or not needing, not feeling that you need him. Let me tell you something. We need him all the time. Amen. We need him to do the everyday things. There's a lot of talk about worship today. And what most people define worship, uh, unfortunately, we would call blasphemy or very close to it. But your life is to be a life of worship. How can it be worship? 
Well, it's when I surrender to Him. Even when I'm driving, I need to surrender to Him. Amen? And pray for His guidance. He'll give you patience you don't have. And let me tell you, if you drive around here, you need it. Amen? Uh, there, there are many things that we think we can handle. Jesus went to sleep. He didn't wake up until it was time. You always wonder why Jesus waits to the last minute to do miracles. It's because they're often not appreciated until the very moment of crisis. Uh, they finish this by being afraid of Jesus. Why are they afraid of Jesus? Well, they had just rebuked the Lord Jesus Christ. They woke him up, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Uh, what boat was Jesus in that the disciples weren't in, my friend? I mean, if that boat went down, humanly speaking, who was going down with it? They were upset that Jesus wasn't concerned about their fears. Don't put yourself there. That's not a good place to be. And they end this by being afraid because they had just rebuked Jesus. And if Jesus could tell the wind to be quiet, what could he do to them? Amen? Fortunately, Jesus is a very forgiving, patient God. Amen? And he puts up with us. And they ask, what manner of man is this? That's the question Jesus wanted them to ask. That's what he was trying to do. And he is now, once they get over to the other side... Something else is going to happen here to again demonstrate the person of Jesus Christ. We have this demon-possessed man, the demoniac of Gadara, he is called. And uh, if you read the account in the book of Luke, he spells it a little differently. And somebody picked up on that and said, well, that can't be the same story. Well, uh so a fellow did the research about 180 to 100 years ago and wrote it all in a book that one referred to the entire area and the other referred to the Pacific area in which Jesus was in. So both of them were correct in their things. And there's many answers for most of those things that people would call uh, discrepancies. But look at verse 2 of Mark chapter 5. We're going to basically follow through Mark here. It says, and when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. One of the other gospels tells us that he came running and fell down before Jesus, beseeching him that he would not torment them before the time they worshiped Jesus. I've often thought about preaching the sermon, do you treat Jesus as well as the devils did? I mean, the disciples were trying to figure out what manner of man this is. Uh, the demons knew now, didn't they? And they came running out because he was there. How often do we ignore the Lord Jesus in our daily life? Devils didn't ignore him. They came running out and they worshipped him, the Bible says. Now, if you got one of them newfangled Bibles, it'll just say it kneeled before him. But uh, he fell on his face before Jesus. And they tell the story here of this man and all of the horrible things that were going on in his life because of this demonic influence. Now, let me tell you, demons are real. Number one, don't go looking for them. Because you just might find them. Number two, if you hear somebody that's looking for them, stay away. I mean, if you're flipping through the television show and you get one of them idiots, I'm sorry, but that is a 
correct term for someone that has a very low level of understanding. And they say, I bind the devil and all of it. Just turn it off. You want to get the devil active in your life, start trying to bind him. Talk about how powerful you are. And, of course, they always use the name of Jesus. But uh, read the story about the sons of Sceva in the book of Acts. Uh, Jesus, whom Paul teacheth, bad things happen. I'll tell you what. If you want to involve yourself in spiritual warfare, try to get up a half an hour extra early and pass out tracks at the subway station before you go to work. Everything under the sun is going to happen to you to stop you from doing that. Try to get up a half an hour early to read your Bible. Let me tell you something. Bad things are going to happen to you. And when you get the victory, guess what? That is a spiritual victory. We have often painted pictures of grabbing the sword of the Spirit and running out there to slash at the forces of the devil. About the only thing you're going to do when you do something like that is cut yourself. Uh, How many of you are young enough to uh, try to be uh, one of those karate guys? We talked Stephen about that. He ended up giving himself a concussion. Um, it's dangerous stuff, my friend. If you want to be safe, hide behind Jesus. That's what you ought to do. Now, this guy came up, and we don't hear anything about the disciples with this whole story. And Jesus commands the demons to leave him. And by the way, I believe I have met people that are oppressed to the point of control and actually possessed by forces. But let me tell you something. That doesn't happen unless you want it to. Now, maybe you're so dumb you don't understand these things and get sucked in by it, but let me tell you, If you're sitting here in a church service, just stay away. Don't watch all of those filthy movies with all kinds of weird paranormal stuff going on. You're inviting the devil into your life when you do that. Stay away from it. Don't try to read somebody else's book. I knew a preacher one time. He said, I just felt like I needed to understand more about the devil. I said, whoa, you don't need to understand anything more about the devil. You already know too much. Amen. Now, we have an interesting story and I'm just going to relate the details as we're moving on. There's a conversation that ensues and Jesus commands his spirits to leave this man and not to bother him ever again. And there's a herd of swine, pigs. And the demons say, let us enter into the pigs. Now, why did Jesus do that? Well, I have to wait till you get to heaven. Uh, He doesn't answer that question, but the pigs all run down the cliff at the Sea of Galilee and end up drowning in the water. Now, could you imagine all the problems the EPA would like to cause if something like that happened today? Uh, But the simple thing was, these forces are there. They are out there. They will bother you. They will control you if you let them. By the way, if you're saved... You can be oppressed or influenced from the outside, but you cannot be possessed or controlled from the inside because the Holy Spirit of God lives within you at the moment of your salvation. And you, But let me tell you something. You can quench the Spirit. And when you do, you're giving 
power or influence to the other spirits, which are not of God. And that's why it's so important to just walk with the Lord. But how did Jesus handle this situation? He was in charge, amen? Because he is Jesus. In a little bit of uh, another chapter or so, they're going to accuse Jesus again of casting out devils through the power of the devil. Now, let me tell you something. When you can take the things of God and attribute them to the devil, you're on dangerous ground, my friend. Do you know how much confusion needs to be in your heart? And, and uh, let me tell you, witnessing to people, I've had things happen very similar to this. I remember one time giving out tracts. Oh, no, I won't take one of those tracts. Anybody that's against homosexuality is from the devil, is what I was told. I didn't say a word. All I did was try to give a gospel tract. Well, of course, I'm against homosexuality because the Bible is against homosexuality. But when someone says, if you take a stand on the Bible, you're from the devil. That is a terrifying piece of earth to stand upon, is it not? And that's where these scribes and these Pharisees, they had backed themselves into a corner to where, and they were continually doing this, to where they either had to reject themselves and everything they believed in practice so they could accept Jesus. Does that sound familiar? That's how a person gets saved now, isn't it? You cannot bring what you have to Jesus. I remember somebody telling me, well, I was raised in a Baptist church. I've always been a Christian. Well, it doesn't work that way. Now, some churches might teach that, but the Bible doesn't teach that. You've got to... Reject your religiosity and believe in Jesus Christ. You know what? The demoniac here had no problems rejecting his past life. He had no problems saying all the, that everything that he had given his life for was of the devil because it was. And when Jesus got back in the boat to head to the other side, he said, I want to follow you. Now it's interesting. Many times Jesus said, follow me. Other times, he let them follow him. This time he says, no, you stay here. I want you to tell everybody what I've done for you. Again, he was giving testimony to his deity, his authority, his power, because in just a little bit, he was going to be sending out the 12 apostles in groups of two to preach in his name. Let me tell you something. That only happens in the case of deity. We preach Jesus, crucified, buried, and risen again. The gospel message, amen. And so... Jesus heads back to the other side. He leaves the demoniac there to give the testimony. And of course, all the people, we just need to end with this, all the people in the area, when they come out and they see this man sitting there, by the way, he had clothes on for a change. You know, one of the signs of demonic interference in your life is... Dressing in a way, or actually undressing in a way, that brings attention. Nudity is part of the devil's work. Why do you think these clothes or people are wearing clothes the way they are? Where, who designs the clothes? Follow the sign. You will see the devil's handprint all the way. That's why 
You need to work on that. And by the way, ladies aren't the only ones that need to dress modestly and carefully in these days. Amen? Uh, We all need to reflect the image and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So Jesus returns. He goes to the other side. And as he gets to the other side, verse, uh, we're just going down through Mark, uh, Mark chapter 5, verse 21. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. When he saw him, he fell down at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed, and she shall be and she shall live. And Jesus went with him. Now, I would like you to see this from the disciples' point of view. Here they are, they've been in the boat all night crossing the Sea of Galilee. The storm comes up, the ship is full of water. They are in danger of drowning. They know it. They finally wake up Jesus in not so kind and proper a way. And he says, peace be still. And they go to the other side. In the morning, they meet the demoniac of Gadara. Jesus casts out the demons. They find some clothes for this man. And Jesus gives him some instruction. They then turn around and go back the five or so miles across that little inland lake there. And the crowds hear that Jesus is coming and they all come out. And a ruler of the synagogue comes pushing through the crowd and falls down at Jesus' feet and says, My daughter's dying. Will you come and touch her that she can live? Now, Who was in charge of the synagogues, my friend? Many of these same people who were saying all these horrible things and lying about the character of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what. uh, It's like I often said, I'm in the hospital with people and I said, you know how to tell the difference between bearable pain and unbearable pain? See, bearable pain is when you have it. Unbearable pain is when I have it. Amen? (laughs) Isn't that the way it works? And the simple truth of the matter is, we don't know where Jairus was with all of these things going on, but when his daughter was approaching death's door, he was willing to believe in Jesus. He was willing to humble himself in the sight of his friends. He didn't care what anybody said or thought about him. The only thing he knew that there was hope if Jesus would come, he knew of no other. Can I tell you, that's a picture of what salvation is. It's when you're willing to forsake everything to go to Jesus. Now, Jesus was going to allow events to manipulate themselves to take this man through some very deep waters. Jesus will do what it takes for you to believe on him. If you'll just follow him. Sometimes it seems like Jesus is almost playing with your emotions. He's just dragging it out. He's he's not working in a way that makes sense to you. And as they move through that crowd, I mean, you had literally thousands of people pressing all around and squashing the disciples. And I mean, it was worse than Yankee Stadium when they win a game, which hadn't been too often here late. And, And I mean, everybody's just pressing in this little group led by the ruler of the synagogue, is pressing through the crowd. And we have the woman 
with the issue of blood who sneaks up behind him, literally. And I don't know quite how she accomplished this. Uh, In my mind's picture, I like to see the disciples all kind of forming a circle around the Lord so that they get the fun of pushing everybody out of the way so Jesus can get through the crowd and... and, uh, And they're following Jairus to his house. And here's two of these disciples looking and pushing. And all of a sudden, she reaches right between them and grabs a hold of the hem of Jesus' garment. Now, I love the story here. You see, an issue of of, of blood made a person unclean. Anybody that she jostled against in the crowd would actually become unclean. They didn't worry too much about that. You see, they believed that if you washed your hands and if you did all this stuff, they had all their little rules. But she was supposed to put her hand over her mouth and call unclean as she went through the crowd. We don't know that she did this. Chances are she didn't. People had gotten careless about this in Jesus' day. By the way, many of us have gotten careless about what is clean and unclean. But when the unclean touches Jesus, he could not be made unclean. His purity was so powerful that it made her clean and it healed her. And he said, I perceive that, does anybody remember the Bible word? Virtue. Oh, we need to pray to our Lord for virtue. It is a missing attribute. It shouldn't be. When I worked the Board of Elections, I used to work with a lady and she'd always come up and say, well, preacher, how are you doing? And then somebody would come up and say something to her and get her all upset. Oh, I can't talk right now. I'm in front of the preacher. You know what? You want to make people a little uncomfortable doing wrong around you. Amen? That is not a bad thing. Well, Jesus stopped. The crowd is milling. He says, somebody touched me. The disciples are going, Lord, everybody in the crowd just touched you. What do you mean somebody touched you? I want to think of what Jarius was doing at this time. Another delay. He was across the sea. I couldn't get to him. Is there going to be enough time to get Jesus to my daughter before she dies? And of course, Jesus concluded the episode here. He wanted to make sure this woman's faith was on display. And everybody in the crowd understood the things that we just explained. That she was unclean, but now she was clean By just touching the hem of his garments. Again, another attribute. His power over the earth and the elements. His power over the devil and his people. His power over cleanness and uncleanness. And as they approach Jairus' house, the people come. The wailing can be heard. And they said, don't trouble him anymore, Jairus. You're too late. She's dead. What was Jesus' answer? Be not faithless, but believing. I'll tell you, Jesus was trying again, not trying, he was showing himself again. He said, the girl's not dead, she just sleeps, and what did they do? They went from their wailing and weeping to laughing. Don't be an idiot. Don't be ridiculous. She's dead, she's dead. There's nothing you can do. 
And finally, Jesus pushed them all out. And of course, they were offended. They were here to comfort this man at the death of his daughter. They didn't want this guy who didn't understand about death. And of course, Jesus understood everything. In fact, he had planned it that way. Not so that Jairus could suffer in his heart and his mind, but so that Jairus and his disciples and all that would hear that story would know. Power over the wind and the waves. Power over the devil and thousands of his minions. Power over uncleanness that could not be healed by man. And power over death. What an incredible Savior. Amen. A picture of Jesus is being painted. And these events happened in rather rapid succession. And we have a tendency when we read through our Bible that when we come to a chapter division, we stop and say, oh, that's the end of the day. No, not necessarily. Those are just references to help you find your way. What we're trying to do is get the story here. And Jesus then, after healing Jairus' daughter, uh, we come to Matthew chapter 9. And let's just turn there. Because this little insertion, this is where it fits in the chronology the best that we can understand. Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. When Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? And they say unto him, Yes, Lord. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus straightly charged them, seeing saying, See that no man know it. But they went and were, but when they were departed, excuse me, but they, when they were departed, spread abroad his fame in all that country. And as he went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with a devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake, and the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never so seen in Israel, but the Pharisees said he casteth out devils through the prince of devils. So, what we have here is Jesus' fame had gone all through the country. He went into a house. Chances are he spent the night there. Two blind men left seeing and just blazed all through the countryside. And as Jesus was traveling the next day, they said, Well, he can heal the blind man, he can make lame people walk. Let's find someone that's blind and dumb who can't speak and let's see if he can do this too. And you know what? Jesus was not there to do miracles at the whim of men. But praise God, he had compassion on this man. The, another passage says he led him aside, away from the multitude, and he healed him. And so what we have here is Jesus now after he has done these incredible things, being accused of doing his work through the power of the devil. Again, I challenge you, how confused must a soul be to make a statement like that? I mean, you are talking someone that has already chosen to reject the Savior. You know, we have a lot of things that go on for the cause of witnessing today that just ought not be done. You cannot, you cannot straighten out someone who has already decided that they're not going to believe on Jesus. Sometimes you just got to leave them alone. Otherwise, you're going to end up in Proverbs chapter 26. He that answers the fool according to his folly becomes like him. And if you don't answer the fool according to his folly, guess what? The fool thinks he's smarter than you are. So what does that make you? Don't waste your time debating with fools. And uh, Jesus was very careful not to do that. From here, he returns to Nazareth. This will be his last visit 
And again, he has been to Nazareth before. They tried to lead him out of the city and throw him over the cliff on which the city was built. He teaches in the synagogue and they ask these questions. Where does this man get this wisdom? We watched him grow up. Where does he get this ability to heal people? Because we know the rest of his family and nobody else is like that. You know, here in the United States, we have a a group of people and some of my family, actually some of our family on both sides, I just call them mountain people. They live up in the mountains. They live somewhat separated from society as a whole. And they have a completely different way of approaching life. Uh, I think these Galileans were mountain people because when they saw the wonderful things that Jesus did, they were offended instead of willing to believe that he could be who he is. Amen? And you know, sometimes people do the same thing today. They just get offended. And uh, Jesus, it says he could do their no mighty work because of their unbelief. We just keep preaching the gospel. Amen? Now, after all of this, let's go to Mark Mark chapter 6. And I just want to set the table for the feeding of the 5,000, and then we will end tonight as we go through our text. And he went out from thence, verse 1, and came into his own country, and his disciples follow him. And when the Sabbath was come, and, and I'm sorry, we're down here, he is rejected there. Verse 7 and of Matthew 6, and he called unto him the twelve. And began to send them forth two by two, and gave them power over unclean spirits, and commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey, save a staff only, no script, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals, and not put on two coats. And he said unto them, In whatsoever place ye enter into an house, there abide till ye depart from that place. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear you, when ye depart thence, Shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And they went out and preached that men should be rep- that men should repent. How many of you remember John the Baptist's first sermon? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What was Jesus' first sermon? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is at hand. What was the disciples' first sermon? Repent. Uh, What is our message today? Uh, Repent. Amen? Somebody said, how do you know if you're truly a first century Christian? Well, preach the same message they did, and you're going to be somewhat on the track. Amen? Uh, We need to repent. What does repent mean? It means to turn around. Now, are you capable of getting rid of every sin in your life? No. But if you'll turn around and give your sin to Jesus, he is. Amen? That's repentance, the Bible way. It's not based upon what you do. It's based upon what he has done and what he will do. But you're not a robot. Amen? You must make the choice and God will do the work. So, Jesus now sends the twelve out. By the way, read this in Matthew. Your, your, uh, the references are there. Uh, did Judas go out with the other eleven? Hello? Did he? You better believe he did. Did Judas do miracles like the other 11 did? You better believe he did. But, but, but how did he 
duo. The power wasn't in Judas or Peter. You see, there are certain people who teach what is called apostolic succession. That Jesus gave power to Peter and therefore Peter could give that power to whoever he would. Uh, That falls all to pieces if we just put Judas in the equation. Because Judas did the same things that Peter did. At the Last Supper, when Jesus said, one of you are going to betray me, what did the disciples say? It's Judas! We knew it! No, they didn't. They asked, is it I? No one said, is it Judas? In fact, when Judas got up and left, they still didn't understand it was Judas. They didn't know it was Judas until they got to the garden and he was leading the crowd. The power is in Jesus. Bad people can do good things sometimes. That doesn't make them good people. Amen? We need to learn this. And good people can sometimes do bad things. But the twelve are sent out, six groups of two, all throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and in the towns, healing, casting out devils, doing the things that Jesus had done. And where was Jesus? He followed them. You know what Jesus just did? He multiplied his ministry by six. He could go out and he followed all six groups. Only God could. That's why John said if all the books should be written, we couldn't even write everything that Jesus accomplished. Now, the twelve are going to return to Jesus at the end of their circuit throughout Galilee. And that's the last part of this. They're going to find out that John the Baptist had been killed by the wicked Herod in a most inglorious way because of the dirty dancing of his own stepdaughter. Just a filthy story. Let let me tell you something. The Bible handles it very cleanly and succinctly. Don't study the life of Herod, please. Don't study the stories of the Herods. Not even the soap operas in all of their degradation have approached to the life of the family of Herod the Great and his sons who are playing in this story at this time. It, it come pretty close to some of them. I, haven't, I don't follow the stories in the slop opera, so maybe I should say it approaches to, but it's just very, very terrible stuff. The interesting part that we have here is Herod hears all that's going on with these disciples of Jesus and what Jesus is doing. And he hears rumors that John the Baptist has risen from the dead. And he says, the Bible says, I believe it's in Luke, that he desired to see him. He wanted to see Jesus. Now, he was going to get his chance. It was going to be the day Jesus was crucified. And Jesus was going to answer Herod nothing. You know why? Because Herod already had his chance. He had had John the Baptist locked up for probably close to a year at this point. And it says that he went down and heard him gladly. Uh, Let me tell you, that is not evidence that we'll see Herod on the right side of eternity. You can hear the word all you want, but you must believe in the Savior. And so, the disciples come back from their trip, and I'm sure they're exhausted. But they have no understanding that Jesus made six trips. Well, each set of them made one trip. 
And Jesus is going to tell the disciples as they find out about the death of John the Baptist, let's come apart into a desert area. uh, In verse 31, let's just read that. Verse 30, And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And this is the physical setting We don't know exactly how long this was, but it was a period of months that the disciples had gone around. They now returned. They were all together again. And they find out their beloved leader, it was John, that introduced many of the apostles to Jesus. He had died. He was buried. He had been murdered by Herod. And Jesus said, let's go apart into a desert area and rest a little while. See, sometimes that's needful. But how many of you know what kind of rest the disciples got when they went to the desert area? You see, you don't need rest as much as you need to be with Jesus. Amen? And again, we're going to find that disciples had not learned their lesson. They weren't paying attention. Because they were too busy thinking about what they had done. But did they do anything? No. Judas gives us the answer to that question. It was Jesus that had done everything. They were just there. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, we thank you the stories that are in this book called the Bible and how they present Jesus for who he is. Lord, we just ask now that you would encourage us to keep our eyes upon you. Lord, to bring everything we are to you to repent and to live for you each and every day. We ask you to bless this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Before we finish that prayer, just keep our heads bowed. And if you need to slip out and spend a little time at the altar, the altar is open. If you're here tonight, not sure about your salvation, just get my attention as you come forward. And I'll have somebody take the Bible and show you how you may know your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home.